You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. Hey, thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, we're excited about what God's doing in our church. I'd love to inform you of some of those things as well as it's a great communication tool whereby you can let us know, any of you, uh, first-time guests are, are here weekly, uh, let us know prayer requests, let us know decisions that, that you've made, things that we need to know, you want us to, to be aware of, things like that. And if you are a first-time guest, hold on to this. When the service is over, just take it out to the lobby. Nothing embarrassing at, at all. We're not going to make you do the hokey pokey. But we'd love to give you uh, one of these cool epic church mugs. Just so you know, these are the coolest giveaways we've ever done for first-time guests. So if you've held out till today, congratulations. You would have got a journal a couple weeks ago, and it's pretty cool, but the, the mug. I mean, the spoon, I don't get that part because that's just not me. But um, just so you know, you get both of them. Uh, but a very cool mug. I think it, the, the logo will stay on at least a couple weeks. So um, make plans. No, it'll do better than that. Uh, it better. Uh, so make sure if you're a first-time guest, get that out there. Let us know that you're here. Get your free mug. And then another insert, a couple inserts in your program. One is, is the first time we've ever debuted this baptism card. If you don't know our history, especially when it comes to this idea of baptism, is, is we have, uh, because we were in a hotel renting space on Sunday mornings, and, and initially in this building, we, we, we had restrictions on what we could and, and could not do, at least in our minds. And so we would always have our baptism celebrations in about 6 o'clock oh, down at the Bayside Village swimming pool. So it always meant that people in our church had to come back to a, a different time. It also meant that if you got baptized, you had to get baptized in cooler conditions, right? Uh, so, uh, I mean, it was frigid in, in there, trust me. Um, and I don't have any promises to make for this one. But about a month ago, we got permission from our landlord to do our baptisms here in the room during our worship services. So that's what that is. That's not a ball pit for your kids. Um, I, I know, nor is it a hot tub, although I'm sure we can run it out during the week. Uh, hint, hint. Um, but, it, but we are going to be able to do this. Now, listen, if you are a Christian that has never taken that step of faith and been baptized, just know that's a huge thing. It's not a small thing. Now, it's not so huge that it makes you a Christian, but it's something that Jesus did himself. It's something that he has called those of us who've placed our faith in him to do. And we have our first one in this room coming up March 4th, both at 930 and 11 o'clock. And so follow the, the link here. You guys will find out there's short videos, a little bit longer teaching on baptism as well. There's a form there for you to fill out. And we make sure to make it as easy as possible for you to be able to take this step, which is quite significant. And so if that's you, I'd love to encourage you to do that. Another thing I wanted to let you know this morning, I, I, you guys know I don't typically do the welcome. Typically, uh, Tim Milner does the welcome, but Tim and Kristen Milner on our staff had their baby on Thursday. And so, yeah, he's so funny. He sends me a text this morning. He's like, hey, I was, I was thinking about coming to both services today, but I think I'm better here. And I sent him a text back. I won't tell you everything I said to him. Basically, it was, man, we wouldn't let you come if you tried, all right? And so Tim and Kristen welcome Sophia Bay Milner into the world on Thursday, our first staff child that's been born since we've started this church. So that's really exciting, and, uh, and we're looking forward to them. Be, be praying for Tim and Kristen if you are a new mom or you ever have been a new mom or you've thought about what it would be like, guys, to be a new mom. Um, if you've you know, ever played that experiment out, um, just know that there, there's a major adjustment. I've tried to warn them. I've tried to tell them what's coming, but it's just a very different reality uh, than even what we tried to prep the two of them on. And so I'll uh, be praying for Tim, Kristen, and Sophia, and uh, excited about, about them raising that girl, and they're excited to be raising that girl within the context of our church family here. So um, I'm sure uh, Tim will probably be back on task for next week, and, and Kristen and Sophia will, will be joining us as, as, as it makes sense to do so. So let's watch this video, and then we'll get into our teaching for this morning. 
what do you anticipate to be the reason that God created you? What, what are your suspicions behind God's purpose in making you? I mean, I, I hope that you have some suspicions and that you're not assuming you're one big ball of randomness. But what, when you think about the gifts that God has given you, when you think about your experiences, when you think about your passions, you know, those things that cause your heart to beat a little bit faster, the things that, that, that get you out of bed in the morning. Now, the 11 o'clock crowd, it, I don't know what it takes to get some of you out of bed in the morning, but that thing that, 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 that causes you at least to stay awake at night going, I wonder if this could become a reality. I wonder if God has made me for this kind of thing to pursue this passion or to love out this calling. What is it that God created you for? Now, there's some general things that certainly would be true for all of us, right? He created us to love him, to worship him. Absolutely, those are true. But I'm a wholehearted believer in, and if you spend any time around me or around our church, you know that really one of my themes and my teaching and what I try to live and how I try to um, meet with others and things like that is for us really to get a hold of what are the things that God has created us to do? What is the mission he has given us? Why has God sent us to earth? What does he want us to uniquely accomplish? I believe that for individuals. I believe that for my wife and I. As, so I believe it for marriages. I believe it for families. And I believe it for church communities. I believe that God calls things into existence with purpose in mind and a vision in mind. And he wants us to get a hold of what is that? What is that thing that he's created us to do? And so if you hang around here anytime at all moving forward, you will hear me do entire series on purpose and things like that. But that's not necessarily my intention this morning. My, my goal is not to say, hey, here are some ways that you can know what your purpose is. I think some of you have clues about that. We'll continue to talk in coming weeks about how to assess the gifts God's given you, how to understand what your talent is, how to understand what your passions are, how to move forward in those ways. I know a lot of us, we have those conversations often. But what I want to do this morning is talk to you about the thing or the things that will keep you from living out whatever God's purpose is for your life. So that's my goal this morning is for you and I to really get after the fact that there are some things that could keep us from becoming the person God wants us to become and from doing the things that God wants us to do. So that's, that's what I have in mind this morning. Our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 12. If you need a Bible, Milan, our lovely volunteer, as well as some other people around the room, will be handing those out. Just keep your hand up if you need one of those. And as you receive or already have one of these gift Bibles, I believe, uh, I want to say like page 653. If I'm wrong, though, there's a table of contents. I think 653. If you have one of those Bibles, feel free to confirm that or deny that for me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is where we'll be. We need a few more Bibles up here if you guys can deliver those. I've made promises of what they're going to do, and now they've got to follow through with it. Thank you, ladies. Would you guys stand as we read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Two verses this morning. This is the main text. I know there's only two verses, but these two verses are packed with great realities for our lives. Because I hope if you're in the room this morning, you want to first have a sense of what God's purpose is for your life. And second, I hope that you want to have a sense of what are the things that could get in the way between God having a purpose for my life and me fulfilling his purpose. So here we go, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, that was set before him, endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be seated. Hopefully you think this always, but we need to really pay attention to what's being said here in the scriptures. And we always want to see things in context. So to really get the thrust of what's going on in chapter 12, we need to know what's been happening in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you've never read it or it doesn't come to mind as something you remember what it's about, don't wait later this week. Read it sometime before you go to bed today, right? And I don't necessarily mean before your Sunday nap. Who Sunday nap, anybody? Religious about that? Yeah, a few of you are lying. Um, <clears throat> I'm just not a good napper. I, anyway, but we don't want to get off course with that. But before you go to sleep tonight, I just want to encourage you to re-familiarize yourself or for the first time, familiarize yourself with chapter 11. Chapter 11 is what's known as the faith chapter in the scripture. That's what's known as the chapter on the heroes of our faith. It, it says what faith is. It teaches us that. It tells us how to exhibit that faith. And then it gives us really these short summaries of men and women who did amazing things that God called them to do by faith. So all throughout chapter 11, you'll see by faith, so-and-so did such and such. By faith, so-and-so did such and such. And, and they're all things that seem real uncommon. They're all things that seem pretty extraordinary, that people believed that God had a specific thing for their lives, and they believed that God would accomplish, and they lived their lives in such a way to see God accomplish those kinds of things in their life. And so, like, uh, here's just the three examples. In chapter 11, it says, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, when it really had never rained, Noah's doing something that looks crazy and seems impossible, uh, but God has a vision he wants Noah to accomplish by building the ark, right? Namely, that Noah and his family would be spared when the flood came. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to go out, even though he didn't know where the destination would be. Now, how many of you, honestly, tomorrow morning would hop on an airplane with an unknown destination? Some of you single guys, it depends on who's there, right? I got you. I understand that. Some of you adventurous people are like, sure, why not? Um, you may want to know at least how much fuel's in the plane, uh, even if you don't know the destination. But, but, but Abraham obeyed God. He was 75 years old, and he had the faith to go, you know what, God, I'm going to believe you, that you have something out there for me because you've called me away from home. You've called me away from my people, away from my country to a new place. It tells us that by faith, Moses left Egypt. That was a huge deal, right? Moses was called to lead the people out. It also says, by faith, Moses led the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. And remember, it's not just Moses and five friends. Moses is leading, conservative estimates tell us, Moses is leading around two million people on a journey. You think you have a lot of subordinates under you. Two million people. And with no email, no Blackberry at the back of the line, right? I mean, Moses is leading these people out. And so chapter 11 tells us that these these men and these women did it by faith. And so when it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the idea, the picture is that, is that you're in this arena. And, and though you might want to be in the comfortable seat somewhere up in the stands, like maybe nosebleed for this occasion, you're actually not in the stands. You're the one in the race. You're the one in the competition. You're the one whose turn it is to go for it. And the idea is that these men and women from chapter 11 and others are, are, the, are, are the spectators, but they're, they're active spectators they are they're, they have finished their race right their heat is over in history they're enjoying their reward and now they're spurring us on therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses the next three words say this let us also let us also here's what's really cool that i want you to know if you do not believe when you walked in this morning that god has something unique and specific and really big he wants to accomplish in your life the text says, therefore, since we're around by this great arena, this cloud of witnesses, let us also, telling us 
that it is possible for you and I to live the kinds of lives that these people in chapter 11 lived. And it's possible for you and I to see God do in our lives the kinds of things he did in their lives. This is big. Because we read that and we're like, oh, they must have been tight with God. God, like, has this hall of fame. They even call this chapter the hall of faith. But, but the author is telling us in chapter 12, verse 1, he's saying, you can do this. Do you believe that God has something unique and specific and purposeful in mind for your life? If you do not believe that, and I don't mean like you're inspired to believe it occasionally, if you do not believe it, you will live your life aimlessly. It's going to be hard enough to fulfill it even if you know that it's there. But if you don't believe it, if you think you're just here to wander around, if you think you're just here to take things as they come to you, then you will live your life aimlessly and you will not achieve the idea that God had in mind, the vision or the mission that he created your life for. So he says, let us also. The fact that he's going to tell us there's some things that we need to do means this. Just because God has a purpose for your life and my life, it does not mean we will automatically see his mission for our life come. Some of us would love for that to be automatic, right? Like, God, if you have a vision, and again, we can get into some real deep theological waters this morning, and that's not my intent. But by the fact that this is in the scriptures and it says, hey, God's got a call for your life. God can do the kinds of things also like he did in these lives of these men and these women, but there's a part that you play. You, you need to hear this. You and I get to have some say-so in whether or not God's scheme for our life gets done. God has intention behind who he wants us to become. He also has intention behind what he wants us to do. So he says, let us also. Well, what do we need to do? What's next? Let us also lay aside every weight. Let us also lay aside every weight. Let us, let us set or cast aside every weight. Now, he's not talking about sin in this, this first description because he's going to get there, right? If weight really just equaled sin, then the author's not that bright. He would be saying, let us lay aside every sin and every sin. With me? So the idea of weight, it's hard to really get at it. Even with my studies, commentaries, scholars, all, all those kinds of things, the, the, the best I, I get the picture of, of weight meaning this, anything you and I give time, attention, and energy to that distracts us from living out God's purpose for our life. All right, so that if you're looking for just a working definition this morning of what, how do we lay aside the weight, what could that be? It's anything you and I give time, attention, and energy to that distracts us or takes us off course from living out the life that God wants us to live. So what's the weight for you? Maybe here's a better question. What are you giving your time, attention, energy to that is distracting you from God's purpose for your life? What are you personally giving your time, attention, energy to? So it's not necessarily sinful, so it could be a few things, right, or maybe a lot of things. Um, any of us that, that are excessively watching TV or doing Facebook or on the Internet just because we can't think of anything better to do. Now, if you work for those companies, that's probably God's purpose for you. The rest of us, different story, right? And you're like, oh, but Ben, you don't understand. i got to be connected. i got to make sure. I get it. Trust me. But we have access to things that are excessive for our lives, and so sometimes we find ourselves Rather than reading the book that might get us down the path to what God wants to do, rather than having the conversation with the person who might get us down the path of God's purpose for our life, rather than taking action, doing the thing that God's called us to do. You know what sometimes it is for us, I think a lot of us in this room, is that we're giving time, attention, and energy to lots of good things, all the while forfeiting our time and energy and attention on the best things. That's what's reality for some of us. So he goes, hey, if you want to do the kind of chapter 11 living, if you want to believe God for that, if you want to fulfill God's mission for your life, if you want to go after God's purpose, the first thing you need to do is lay aside the weight. What are the things you're carrying daily in your life 
could be good things. What are the things you're carrying daily in your life that you know are keeping you from becoming the person God wants you to become and doing the thing God wants you to do? Now, I'm not speaking against leisure. I'm not speaking against rest. You need to enjoy those things. In fact, our next series is called Margin, where we're going to talk about how you make space in your life for what matters the most. But what are you doing? What are you carrying with you weight-wise that's keeping you or at least distracting you from fulfilling God's mission for your life? Some of us, you know, we have these moments in our life where we hear a talk from someone maybe at a conference and all of a sudden we're inspired or, or January 1st shows up and all of a sudden we have this, I really need to think about what I want to do with my life. But then we typically just begin going back into the flow of living, right? Some of you need to carve out time, maybe even today, I think it's hopefully going to be pretty out there by the time we get out. You need to get, a, get alone, maybe even today, and go, man, what is, get, get back to the idea, what is God's thing for me in my life or the things that he has for me? And then is my time, is my attention, is my energy, is it lining up with what he wants me to do? But he doesn't stop at the weight, does he? It would be nice if he stopped at the weight and didn't talk about the F word. He says, let us lay aside every weight and let us also lay aside sin that clings so closely. Or your translation may say the sin that so easily entangles. The reason I believe the author uses this descriptive language is because sometimes we, you and I, can pretend that our sin isn't really affecting what, we're, what our lives are about. Right? And he's saying to us, you, you can't get away from it when you're engaged in it. You, you can't. You can't do the thing on Saturday night that's totally against God, and and even if you want to pretend on Sunday morning that it's not there, it's there. It is on you. It's all over you until it's dealt with. It clings so easily, so closely to us. We get entangled in it, and you and I, if if you're doing something in your life, pretending that your sin won't catch up with you, if I'm doing that in my life, we're wrong. In a moment, I'm going to put two sentences on the screen. I'm going to put them together, and they may sound like contradictions. So the first one is going to be a mantra that we say at Epic all the time. The second one is also a reality that I want us to get our minds around, okay? So let's see those two sentences on the screen. Because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, your past does not have to dictate your future. We thrive on that as a church. We speak that into our congregation all the time. We want to highlight that in our small groups and everything that we do. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, this is really good news. Your past doesn't have to dictate who you will become or what you will do in the future. Really good news. But here's another reality that's equally true. But your present sin always keeps you from God's purposes. How do you know that, Ben? Because God's purposes for us are never going to be that we sin. Pretty elementary, but sometimes we try to fool ourselves. Because of who Jesus is and what he does and what he offers, your past does not have to dictate your future. But your present sin, my present sin, always keeps us from God's purposes. It has to, right? Because we can't have fellowship with God. We can't be connected to God and be connected with sin ongoingly, right? Simultaneously, these things can't be true. And I don't want to get into like, well, Ben, what about what happens after the sin? Listen, we cannot be connected in some deep way to God and be connected in some deep way to sin. We will let go of one or the other. Every one of us. We never sin while we're intimately acquainted and connected and in fellowship with God. Right? Because of the moment that we do sin, that's done. And the vice versa is true as well, which I think is real interesting, and we'll talk about that in a second. Here's a question we need to ask in this light. What are the sins that could derail you, not just distract you. I think the weight distracts us, holds us back. But what are the sins that could derail you from living out God's purposes for your life? 
What are the sins that could derail you? What are they? And listen, let's be honest. We may look puzzled on our faces this morning, myself included, but you and I, we're not confused about what our sins are, are we? Like, we don't need the hour-long session. I mean, we can hang out. We can talk about what the root of those are. We can talk about what the results will be of those. We can talk about how to trace them back to our childhood. We can do that. Those are good things. But we're not confused, most of us this morning, about what our thing or our things are in this category. We know what they are, right? We, we, we know the things that could derail us. And if you're in here this morning and you're going, man, that was true about my past life, but I can honestly say, like, I'm not actively engaged in some habitual sin or some present reality of sin in my life. Let me say this to all of us. We need to know what sins in our lives are likely to keep us from living out God's purpose, even if we're not engaged in them right now. I've done a practice like this with other church staffs that I've worked on. I've said things like this. Hey, if your ministry, if you don't make it long-term in ministry, tell me what will likely be the sin that causes you from that. And we here as people in the room this morning, even if it's not going on in your life right now, you and I need to think through, if we fall, if we don't accomplish God's mission for our lives, and it has to do with some sin or sins, what is it likely for you? This is not one where you need to participate out loud. Will it be greed? Will it be pride? Will it be some sort of sexual sin? Will it be a lust for money? If you and I, let's, let's just play this out, and I, I cannot read your future, just so you know, okay? So I'm not talking directly to you. Hypothetical. If I could read the future, I would be making a lot of money betting on World Series and Super Bowls and things of that nature. If we look to the end of your life and I was able to tell you or you were able to tell me this morning, hey, um, there's going to be a sin that's going to keep you from accomplishing this. What would that be? And knowing that, what are you going to do about it? I don't know how many of you are sports fans, but there's a real interesting story that's happened over the last several years. Josh Hamilton is a center fielder for the Texas Rangers. And, and uh, they've, they've been in the World Series the last couple years. Obviously, we know they didn't win in 2010, nor did they win in 2011 but his story is pretty unique um has more talent maybe than anybody in the game today but but because of alcoholism and drugs he um he, he he's it's almost kept him from accomplishing what i believe god's purpose has been for his life in fact he speaks in those kind of in those kind of ways and and just a couple of weeks ago he had another relapse with alcohol and it was only like his second one in three years but he's so uh, it's such a big deal. L let me tell you something that you might make fun of, but, but I, and then I'm going to turn it around and say this is the kind of thing you and I need to be willing to do also. So when their team won the pennant, when they won the division, do you know instead of champagne, alcoholic champagne, they, they celebrated with ginger ale? Now, it could have been guys on the team going, man, what in the world? If he can't handle his liquor, what? they did whatever it took. Do you know that the Texas Rangers have hired him an accountability partner, a guy that will be with Hamilton everywhere he is unless when he's in his house with his wife and kids then that's extreme no he's been man enough of course he's in the media but he's been man enough to identify what the thing is that will derail him and he's done even the extreme he's taken extreme caution to do something about it what is your thing and where are your boundaries with that thing and what extreme cautions have you taken with it do your friends know does your spouse know does someone that cares for you do they know and listen, when you share what your thing is with someone, if they're the right person, they're never going to be able to go, ha, ha, well, good thing I don't struggle with anything. They at least struggle with lying, right? I mean, right there, you kind of got them. It's like, ah, oh, 
I don't know what your other things are, but I know what one of your things is. What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? Something that may seem crazy to our friends or the outside world, like why would you take that extreme caution? It's because I'm so committed to living out God's purpose for my life that I'll do whatever it takes to not fall in that ditch. And most of us, let's be honest, we're not in that place. We're not that committed. We're not that vulnerable. The pride thing gets at all of us. I'm like, oh, I can't admit it. I gotta pretend. I can't admit it. I gotta pretend. We've all got something. Every one of us in the room broken in some way. Might as well just be honest with it. What are you willing to do? Here's what's very interesting to me. When you read these men and women in chapter 11, the Moseses, you know, and you think about the great ones like Esther, and you think about Noah and Abraham and all of these people, what's interesting, we might look at their lives and go, man, how could, Ben, how could I live the life they lived? They had this connection with God, and, and it seems like they did everything perfect. Like, like they, they never forgot Mother's Day, right? Like, they, they never forgot got to do the things in their leadership they never made leadership mistakes probably even how can i be the kind of leader how can i see god do in my life the kinds of things that he did in theirs well here's what's encouraging god says in verse one through his word chapter 12 verse one therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely he's connecting us to them he's saying you know what for them to accomplish what god had for their lives they had to lay aside their junk too I don't think that there's only a limited number of people mentioned in chapter 11 because the author ran out of ink. There had to have been, right, tens or hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of other people who God had a specific call for their life, but for whatever reason, they refused to lay aside the weight and the sin to see his, accomp see his will accomplished or his mission accomplished in their life. There had to be countless others where God said, here's what I want for you to do, but and here's what's crazy about those in chapter 11. It's not like they just had small sins either. It wasn't like the men and women in chapter 11 just had to set aside little white lies. Noah exposes his body in a degrading way to his children. Abraham sleeps with a woman who isn't his wife to try to manipulate the results of God's promise for his offspring. Moses kills a person with his bare hands. So if you're sitting here this morning going, well, they just had small sins that they had to lay them aside. Yeah, murder, that's small. Adultery, that's tiny. And then the thing that Noah did, my gosh. Just disgusting, right? But yet all of those people saw God do in their lives what God wanted to do. All of those people saw God's will and mission and vision become reality in their lives. Why? Because this text tells us that they were willing to lay it aside. They were willing to lay it down. And if we're honest this morning, there's times when we just love our sin way too much. Two things, I think, that keep us from laying down our sin. One is that we just love it too much, right? Like, none of us are sinning begrudgingly, right? Like, ah, I just got to go. I, I know I just got to do something that God doesn't like. We, we love it for the moment. We want it for the moment. We get accustomed to it showing up in our lives, right? So some of us just love our sin too much. And the second reason that we might hold on to it is that some of us don't think it's ever possible to lay it down. Like, you have done all the Bible studies You've talked to all your former pastors. You've prayed about it. You've journaled about it. You've, you know, put it on a billboard. It's just not going away. And so many of us in this room probably have just given up. Like, this will be who I am forever. I can't do this. I can't. I'm just caught in this web. I'm caught in this pattern. I'm caught in this habit. Listen, I will never stand up here and say, hey, it's easy to drop those kind of sins. 
I will never say it's easy for me to stop this kind of sin. But I will always say because of what we're celebrating at the communion table this morning, because of what Christ has done for us, we have an opportunity to overcome those things. I I believe that that's what God wants for our lives. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This beautiful imagery all over the scriptures where God talks about what our life purpose is, he equates it to running a race, that he has set these markers for us. And, and obviously, in case you're wondering, is it your turn to run with the baton yet? The fact that you're breathing this morning, the answer is yes. This is time for your race. This is the thing he has for you. I don't, I, you know, it started when you were born, and but lo- longer than that in his mind, it's going to end the day that you and I die. And so he's got this thing carved out for us. He says, run the race that is set before us. Complete it. Become who he wants you to become. Do the things he wants you to do. But then he throws in this very key word at the end of verse 1. He says, he doesn't just say, let us run the race that is set before us. What does he say? Let us run the race with endurance. Let's be honest this morning. We're all great starters, aren't we? I mean, we can take care of day one of the diet. Can we not? Right? We can take care of day one of the Bible reading plan. I mean, how many times have we read Genesis chapter 1? Right? Most of us have never gotten to Exodus. It's like, I can kill it for the first few days, Ben. How many day ones have we had of P90X? Day 90s, not so much, right? This is my confession time, by the way. Decided I like Jillian Michaels more than the other guy. But nonetheless, that's a whole separate thing. Because <laughs> she goes for about a third of the time. Think about your college semesters, right? Man, in the beginning, I was always so good. And then I forgot how long it was. Like, if the semester had been two weeks, I'm your guy. Right? I, w- I even, I would attend all six classes for two weeks. Right? And the first test, I mean, maybe not A, but B plus for sure. And I forgot. Oh, crap, I've got to stick with this thing. Some of you guys in here, you kill it on a first date. Don't they, ladies? And then they disappear. I mean, it's still them on the third and fourth date, but where did, where did the guy that opens the door, where did he go? Our issue in our lives is not that we don't get motivated to start things. The issue in our lives is that we don't stick with it long enough to see the kind of results that are going to be long-term beneficial. And when it comes to our faith, some of us, maybe a lot of us in this room, this is a chronic issue when it comes to our faith. We treat our faith like so many of you that travel often for business, treat hotels. We're constantly checking in and checking out, checking in and checking out, right? We're in on it. We're out of it. And, and, and listen, the beautiful thing is that God, he wants us and allows us and welcomes us starting over. But he's also wanting to mature something in us that's long-term beneficial. He's, he's wanting to move us on. He's wanting something more for us. And so he tells us really what the application is, which doesn't seem like what you and I might want in verse 2. What we might want in verse 2 is for him to go, hey, here's a list of 10 things, because we do the list really well, don't we? Some of us, we dominate the list. But he doesn't tell us to do the list of 10 things. He tells us to look to Jesus. Hey, run your race, finish the course. Looking to Jesus. And he describes him in this way, the founder, meaning he started it and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. 
And I don't think he's saying look to Jesus just as an example. I don't think he's going, hey, do like he did. I think he's doing that. I also think he's going, hey, and the thing that you see Jesus doing, that's where your power to overcome your thing is going to come from too. It's not just follow his model. It's not just follow his pattern. It's that realize in him doing his thing, he's a great example for how we endure, but he's also the thing that he's accomplishing gives us the power to get over our sins so that we might accomplish the thing God's called us to accomplish too. Founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the language is the same. It really mirrors chapter, verse 1 and, cha- and verse 2. They really mirror each other. Who for the joy set before him, in verse 1, it tells us for the race that is set before us. Jesus has his race. He does it with joy. We have our race. And it uses endurance in our verse. It also uses that word in Jesus' verse too, doesn't it? Who for the joy set before him, what did he do with the cross? Did he love the cross? Did he grapple with it for a while? The text says he enjoyed the cross. The Bible says, and not in a very hypothetical way, but in a very literal way, the Bible says that at that moment, Jesus could have called literally over 100,000 angels to rescue him. Not hypothetical language, not figurative language. He literally says he could have spoke, he could have said one word, he could have made one moment, he could have thought it in his mind that he wanted it to happen, and it would have happened, and he could have been rescued, but that's not what God had for him. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus' disciples are getting hungry. Do you ever have that person you're on a road trip with, and you're starving, but they just want to get there as fast as possible? But then you're like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to say I've got to pee or something, but then they hand you the cup, and that's not getting you anywhere with the stomach issue, right? I mean, you're hungry. Disciples like, Jesus, it is time to eat. Don't you want something to eat? And John 4, 34, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The thing that nourishes me isn't that sandwich. The, the thing that fulfills me isn't getting whatever. The thing that matters to me, the thing that's significant to me, the thing that fulfills me is to do what God sent me to do on earth and to accomplish, another translation may say, finish his work. As I look around the room and just knowing where we live and where our setting is this morning, we have a lot of accomplishers in here. I know that. I am one with you. There are things I want to take over. There are things I want to accomplish. There are things that I want to make sure. I mean, I mean I'm coaching my son's little league team, and I've already got my list of things I want to accomplish, right? We're going to – it's the first year we're keeping score, so we're going to dominate the competition. So I'm, I am one who wants to accomplish some great things in my life. I really am. But what if this, what would it look like for your life, your family, for our church, if this became our number one goal in our accomplishment thinking? What if we begin to say things, and for some of us, let's be honest, this is real radical, but what if we begin to say what Jesus said, my food, the thing that fulfills me, the thing I want to accomplish is to do the will, the reason that God sent me for earth, I want to do that thing, and I want to accomplish or finish his work so that one day I might get the reward that those chapter 11 kind of people are enjoying right now. What would it look like? What would have to... Uh, what would we have to transition out of for that to become reality for us? I do think that Jesus accomplishing his mission does allow us to overcome the things that would keep us from accomplishing ours. I believe that God says that, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power can be alive in us this morning if we know him, if we place our faith in him. When it comes to dealing with our sin, I want to give you three categories of, of which, uh, ways in which we deal with our sin and, and think about our sin being dealt with. The first one is just realizing that Christ has dealt with our sin once and for all. Like that's something we really need to grasp this morning, that it's not just your past sin, but he is, he's already gone to the cross, as we're going to celebrate in a moment. He's paid the price for your past sin, the sin you committed right now, if you are, hopefully not, uh, and the sin that you will commit in the future. He's already dealt with that in a, in a 
historical way, an eternal way, but also in a positional way, meaning this, that, that, that you and I don't have to offer sacrifices for our sin. We've got to place our faith in the one who has made all atonement for our sin. So as we deal with sin, the first thing is to realize that Jesus has done so. And when we place faith in him, his righteousness gets transferred to us in the same way that our sin and the punishment of our sin was transferred to him. So that's, that's one way. But then the, the next two are, are real active on our part. One, the, the next one is confession. Confession of our sin literally means that we simply say to God, God, I am saying what's true about my sin just like what you say about my sin. And it's not repeating God in some mocking way, right? It, it's in a heartfelt way going, God, what you say about my sin, whatever the sin is, it goes against you. God, it is wrong. It is, it is not what you want for my life. I have sinned. And name that thing specifically, as specific as you can. So that's one. But the other one that's very active is this idea of repentance, right? Some of us do the confession thing. We can get that pretty good. Like, we can say we're sorry a lot, right? God, forgive me. I'm sorry. But repentance is this whole idea that we're pursuing sin. We're going after it. We want it. We are um, worshiping it. We, we, it is the thing we're looking for. Repentance literally means that we turn away from our sin and we turn towards God. And, and, and we're not going to do, this is not a perfectionistic uh, message I'm trying to convey to us this morning, right? You are going to sin. That's not a shocker, is it? <laughs> if it's a shocker to you, ask your friends if that's likely to happen in the future. Like, do you think I'll ever sin again? Mm-hmm. We are going to sin. So repentance means that we, that we look away from our sin actively. We, we look towards Jesus, as it says in verse 2, realizing what he's done for our sin. And we begin to pursue God. We begin to have a desire for the things of God. And he does that. He uses his word to change our heart, his spirit that comes to live in us. That changes our heart and our desires. And if you've never done these three things, if you've never realized what Christ has done with your sin on the cross, if you've never confessed your sin to God, and if you've never repented of that sin and placed your faith in Jesus and pursue his ways, I would love to invite you this morning to do that. For the first time ever to go, you know what, I played the church game for a while, or um, I pretended for a while, whatever the case may be. But this morning, I want to place faith in Jesus, believing he alone can do what I need done for my sin, and he has done it. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. And then in closing, I want to say this as lovingly as I can to you, but I also want to say this with as much Honesty and conviction as I can. You may say, well, Ben, I want to accomplish what God sent me to earth to accomplish. I want to do that. But what if I am not willing to lay aside the weight? What if I'm not willing to lay aside the sin? I want to say this as clearly as I know how and as lovingly and gentle as I know how. You will either lay aside the weight and the sin or you will set aside God's vision for your life. You will set one of those down. You, you will set one of those down. I will set one of those down. Collectively, we as a church will have to set one of those down. Either, either we will engage in things that God's not fond of and set aside his vision for our life, or we'll have to set aside our selfish tendencies and our sin so that we might become the people and the church that God had in mind when he created us to be. I want this for you. I'm passionate about this. Uh, I want to see. I can only imagine what does it look like for us collectively to become the people God wants us to become and to do the things that God wants us to do. We're going to be bombarded, you know this, every day and every week with things that are going to say otherwise. Do what you want to do. God's distant. God doesn't really make a difference. What is it you want? My prayer is for myself and for you that we would want so badly what God wants for our lives that we would be willing to reject and say no and lay aside everything else. 
I hope you've been given some things this morning that will help you in that process and in that journey. I hope that you will be willing to take extreme caution to do whatever it takes so that you, some of you need to get computers out of your bedroom. Some of you need to make other things. Some of you need to be honest with your friends about what your struggles are. And remember, don't be honest with your friends that don't care about your struggles, okay? They're going to tell you, you're, you're not so bad. Everybody does. Have that kind of relationship with people that care about what God wants to do in your life and care about you, all right? I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then Shagun and Brianna Williams will be serving us the communion elements this morning. And after I pray, Brad and the band will lead us in a couple songs. And as you get up, you can just go right down this way and, and circle back that way, and, and, and it'll be fine however you do that. But as we celebrate communion, remember, Jesus said, do this every time you remember me. And when, when you remember what I've done, and, and I want to focus really the idea of the table this morning around what we've talked about, that Christ has dealt with our sin. We're going to celebrate that symbolically by taking um, his body, the bread, and his blood, the cup. And we're going to obviously physically take those things in, but I want us to do that in this, in this faith way, too, that we are saying because of what we're celebrating this morning, we believe that Christ has overcome in history and eternity our sin and that he can help us actively overcoming our sin, too. So we can do that. You're not in this alone. You're not a hopeless cause. No matter how long, some of us, to be honest, we've had addiction for 20 years. We've given up even seeing God or asking him to accomplish it. God can overcome that. And if you, for the first time, need to place your faith in Jesus, remember, this table is for those of us that have done that. But you can do that this morning, believing Christ has done for your sin what you could not and did not have to do for your sin, namely receive God's wrath on behalf of it. But he, not only does our sin get transferred to him, his righteousness gets transferred to us. The Bible also says before we receive the cup and the bread, it tells us to examine our hearts. Is there sin that needs to be confessed in your heart before you get up off your bottom and move towards the table? Is there something that needs to be cleansed? Remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. This writer also says a few verses forward, he says something like this. He says, and we, if we have sinned, though, we have this advocate, Jesus, who speaks to the Father on our behalf. That's good news. It's news, news we need. It's news we need to cling on to. So I'm going to pray, and then once I pray, feel free to sit and pray yourself, confess sin, just thank God for who he is and what he's done. Feel free to stand and sing. Feel free to go ahead and receive the elements. I believe we've got two songs uh, coming after this prayer. And so you'll have ample time to be able to respond in whatever way makes sense in your own heart and spirit this morning. So let's, let's do that now. God, I'm thankful that you have made it possible for us to see you do great things in our lives. God, that we have an opportunity to see you impact people through us and organizations through us and cities and a world through us just like you did through these people that we read about in chapter 11. God, I thank you for their example that they were willing to lay aside things that, that were going to keep them from living out your purpose. And God, I pray that we would lay aside those things too. God, would you reveal to us this morning, what, what are some of the, the weights in our life that we're carrying around that are distracting us? Even the good things, God, that are making us forfeit what is best. What's distracting us, God? What are we carrying around? What are we giving time, attention, energy to? And then, God, when it comes to our sin, would you, if necessary, would you reveal what we're pursuing that's not of you? God, would you reveal to us what the sins are that are likely to derail us from accomplishing your mission for our lives? 
God, may we love you more than we love our sin. God, may we want to see your vision accomplished in our life more than we want to pursue our sin. Thank you that our past doesn't have to dictate our future. God, we just celebrate in these next several moments just who you are and the fact that you would, with your heart, take initiative, send Jesus for us. And it's crazy that we are part of his mission that he accomplished. Thanks for inviting us in. May we not take this lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in whatever way seems appropriate to you.